Hi. Today we're going to be discussing the growing issue of obesity and debate some of the schemes in place to lower obesity rates. Um, for those of our listeners who don't know too much about obesity, here's an introduction with some um, statistics. Uh, it's, an, it's an absolutely huge topic and thus we will not be covering every aspect of it, but it's a very prevalent issue uh, which we may cover in further detail at a later date. So before we talk about obesity, I think it's important to define the term obese. And the term obese describes a person who's very overweight with a lot of body fat. It's a common problem in the UK that's estimated to affect around one in every four adults and around one in every five children. The most widely used method to check if you're a healthy weight is body mass index, more commonly known as BMI. And for most adults, a BMI of 18.5 to 24.9 means you're a healthy weight, 25 to 29.9 means you're overweight, 30 to 39.9 means you're obese, and 40 or above means you're severely obese. BMI is not officially used to diagnose obesity because people who are very muscular can also have a high BMI without having much fat. But for most people, BMI is a useful indication of whether they're a healthy weight. To measure your BMI, you can go onto the NHS website and they have a healthy weight calculator to work out your score. A better measure of excess fat is probably waist size, which can be used as an additional measure in people who are come under the overweight category with a BMI of 25 to 29.9. And generally men with a waist size of 94 centimeters or more and women with a waist size of 80 centimeters or more are more likely to develop obesity related symptoms. Um, yeah, so clearly obesity is a huge issue, but do you have any statistics about it or like? Um, yes, so 11,117 hospital admissions were directly attributable to obesity. And this was an increase of 4% from 2017, but there were 10,660 admissions. And 876,000 hospital admissions where obesity was a factor, meaning that uh, obesity didn't directly relate to the illness, but it made it worse. And this was an increase of 23% from 2017, where there were 711,000. So the majority of adults were overweight, are overweight, 67% of men and 60% of women. And this includes 26% of men and 29% of women who are obese. I think it's important that we make that distinct, uh, that distinct uh, distinction, sorry. Um, so obesity is when you can have an illness related to the fat and you're going to a dangerous level where you can experience other underlying health conditions due to the increase in um, fat in your body. Whereas overweight means that you're slightly above the weight, a healthy weight, which can be controlled and is the ideal weight for an adult. So 20% uh, of children under year six were classified as obese. And the prevalence was twice as high in the most deprived areas rather than the least deprived areas. And also I just want to touch upon activity wise. So 67% of adults were considered active as part of government guidelines and only 47% of children and young people were meeting the current physical activity guidelines. Those are, those are obviously quite worrying statistics as I'm sure you'd agree. But uh, I found during my research for this week that there are a fair few schemes and kind of like obesity reduction methods that are in place at present, are they not? Um, yes, and I think the main one would be uh, the sugar tax. I mean, 
it's certainly affecting me even when I go outside and I'm trying to buy a drink you can clearly see that the price has gone up ridiculously and so this is officially called the soft drinks industry levy uh, SDIL and the tax puts a charge of 24p on drinks containing eight grams of sugar per 100 ml and 18p a liter on those with five to eight grams of sugar per 100 ml and this is directly payable by manufacturers to HM Revenue and Customs HMRC. So it was introduced in uh, April 2018 as part of the government's childhood obesity strategy and it aims to reduce sugar consumption by persuading companies to reformulate their high sugar brands and avoid paying the levy. So they don't actually want you to pay the tax. They would rather that you change your formulation of the product to have less sugar. But if they don't reformulate, it's up to the manufacturers to decide whether to pass the levy cost or the tax cost onto the consumers. And in some companies, they have done that. And we can see that um, this is quite a clever uh, scheme from the government, as if you pass on the cost to the consumer, the consumer is less likely to buy a product because it's overpriced and they'll go to a different brand who has a less sugar and would charge less. So that's why the increase of Coke Zero, Diet Coke, and also the increase of having healthier juices as well is quite prevalent in the industry. And it's, it's a great scheme, in my opinion, by the government. What are your opinions on that? Have you got anything to do with the statistics of how effective it's, it is? Um, yeah, so Ashish, uh, during my research, I found that um, I think as of October 2019, uh, the sugar tax, which was obviously introduced in 2017, had led to a total of 28.8% reduction, I believe it was, in the amount of sugar contained in the beverages you mentioned. Um, but what's important to mention is while the sugar tax does seem very good initially, it's obviously achieved its aim to a degree. Uh, there have been quite a few issues raised ethically, which I'm not sure if you guys are aware of. So uh, for our listeners that don't know, the four medical ethics pillars are autonomy, uh, beneficence, non-malevolence, non and justice. Um, many have argued that the sugar tax actually heavily affects the consumer's autonomy as they're now forced to pay more for products which may uh, which they like um and that may lift the product out of their price range and make them un unable to afford such products um it's it's a strange sort of deprivation if we think about it because obviously autonomy being the um the right to self-governance so this taxation kind of strips away that right for the, of people to buy what they Truly, one. Surely, isn't it in the doctor's interest to provide this? And also, how is this the doctor's? Uh, how would this come under medical pillars? Surely, it would be the government's decision. Um, yeah. So while uh, while it may not seem like a medical issue, uh, they are medical ethics pillars, but they're applied to all aspects of life, right? So autonomy is defined literally as the right to self-governance. So it's sort of as a basic human right, meaning um, if this taxation and lifting prices with the aim of discouraging people, now um, makes them unable to buy the drinks they love. Um, this may be a good thing for their health, but it's not always the right thing to do from the perspective of ethics and morals, because people should fundamentally have the right to buy whatever they can, um, or whatever they want to. Um, a lot of people do argue that they, they it, it, it's a deterrent method, right? And thus, we can only mm. expect some people to now be able to, to now be unable to buy them and fruity bars their price range. It's not actually attacking autonomy because they still have the right and option to buy the drink, but they just can't. 
but I think it's an important thing to consider. But um, some also argue that the tax attacks their beneficence and, in some cases, uh, non non malevolence as well. So if people continue to buy the drinks that they want, uh, the drinks not only become physically destructive, but they're also now economically destructive, right? So let's say you continue to buy those drinks, but you can't necessarily afford it in the same way you used to be able to. That's now not only affecting your health in a negative way, it's also now um, making you less economically stable. Um, some people, again, counter saying that, well, that's that's a personal economical issue and that's not something that should be considered by governments. But I think, as I said, it's an important consideration to raise. Um, so it can be quite like influential if we look to the tobacco tax. The amount of tobacco products being sold didn't actually significantly reduce. Um, its introduction is, is now just making buying tobacco financially destructive for the individuals and isn't actually deterring that many people. Uh, a lot of people have said that, you know, with time, people are going to adjust the new prices of soft drinks. So you're just making it uh, economically destructive in the long run, which is what happened with tobacco. Um, so others have argued that, again, it's not acting in accordance with beneficence or non-malevolence because we're unfairly depriving people of something they enjoy. Um, uh, after all, it is it, sugar has released dopamine, right? So it's potentially stopping people from having drinks which which released well, rich um, can increase happiness. Um, and there is also a psychological concern that such like a firm emphasis on reducing obesity can produce a somewhat like fat phobic environment and a fat phobic society. So for those who might maybe mildly overweight or overweight like you categorized in BMI um, this kind of huge emphasis on reducing obesity which is of course very very important can create an uncomfortable environment for those people who aren't actually obese um, and all these ethical objections would personally lead me to wonder if maybe the better route would be to extremely well inform people through education of the sugar risks uh, of the risk of sugar sorry and um, like heavy marketing and advertising of the exact calories and, you know, perhaps like in a, in a blunt way, the amount of sugar cubes and in individual drinks uh, and then removal of the sugar tax. So people uh, know about the, what they're putting into their bodies, but it's not um, in the same way uh, as increasing the price. Um, but, you know, that's just my opinion. Um, with those ethical implications in mind, though, Another question it raises is, could manufacturers and producers not simply just take sugar out of the drinks like you mentioned earlier? I mean, yeah, that there's evidence that shows that slowly changing the balance of diet ingredients in uh, everyday products or making changes to product size is a successful way of improving diets. I think the key is slowly changing and we wouldn't want to do anything too radical. Um, this is because changes are, are universal and we don't rely on individual behavior change. So while you are putting a sugar tax. You're still hoping that people would be deterred by the price, but some people may not be, and they will still use these products. So that's why Public Health England have applied this to all sectors of industry, retailers, manufacturers, and out-of-home sectors, for example, restaurants, takeaways, and cafes, and to all food and drinks that contribute to children's sugar intakes. So what they're trying to do is launch a broad and structured sugar reduction program to remove sugar from the products 
children eat most. And yeah. All sectors are going to be challenged, and that's yeah. to really reduce overall sugar across a range of products by at least 20% by 2020. And we are seeing that it's coming close to 20, uh, 20%, not yet at 20%, but the initial aims from the article taken from 2016 is uh, pretty successful. And they, tr they tried this by, uh, through reduction of sugar levels through ingredients by reducing portion size or shifting purchasing to lower sugar alternatives. So, I mean, that's what the manufacturers have been doing. Yeah, I mean, I was just going to say, initially, I know there were many big brands and food producers who were very hesitant to make those types of changes um, and to actually reduce the sugar consumption because that would require a major recipe change. Uh, so such brands like Coca-Cola and chocolate and sweet brands, that would require them to actually change what's going into the product. Uh, and those could have heavy impact on sales, which would have huge economic impacts on the companies themselves, which obviously as a business they want to avoid. Um, but like you said, it has been implemented. Uh, it was asked of companies, I think, including Greg's, KFC, McDonald's, Starbucks, and quite a few others, but there's just a list of few of the big ones. Uh, and you mentioned that it's close to 20%. Uh, some of the research I found actually said that it was not at the 20% um, desired mark, according to sources, like I said, but oh, okay. uh, it was actually somewhere between seven and 10% um with like an average of three percent decrease per year um and that would put it like somewhere closer to 20 percent mark uh sorry 12 percent mark so not actually as effective as people would have hoped uh obviously 2020 was meant to be the scheme's out uh, aim and outline um with decreases of five percent in a single year but i think the actual recorded decrease for 2015 itself was a mere three percent so its efficacy has been debated quite heavily but in my opinion it's a better alternative than the sugar tax because it, it, it's it's not like I mean on a personal right. level I feel that as though that there should be more effort being put into make healthier food available in the public sector I mean you see all of this uh, uh, seven grain and all of these new companies selling some really healthy alternatives to just say, let's just say butter crisps everything but they're charged an obscene amount and that they should be much more for being put into making food healthier, but staying at the same price as these so-called junk food. So what's your yeah. yeah, sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say, well, um, obviously there have been some major initiatives to help to make uh, healthy food cheaper and available along with the 2015-2016 initiative to give money to those who struggle to afford um, healthy food. So I think uh, off the top of the head, I think, the government put 50 million pounds, I believe it was, towards um, actually those who can't afford healthy food, supplying them with money to go out and buy healthy food. But that also had a different debate around um, how necessarily effective that was going to be. Um, but in conjunction with that, there's been an, an initiative in schools to increase activity. Um, and, you know, that's, uh, I think it's called the Fitter for All scheme. So obviously a lot is being done with regards to increasing activity in time of children, activity time in children, sorry. Uh, and uh, there have been a couple of schemes for professionals too. So if you look to the cycle to work scheme, obviously that was more of an environmental effort, but it does have health implications as well. Uh, and that was very positive. But I know that um, in schools to prevent against childhood obesity, which is a major issue, as of 2017, 40 million Great British Pounds has been invested towards the um, 
towards the act towards an active nation campaign is its official title and that investment is focusing on helping children acquire a basic level um of competence in sport and physical activity as well as supporting them to have fun regardless of their like ability level uh and i know that uh multiple different organizations in the government themselves are going to continue to invest in walking and cycling to school campaigns uh to provide a healthy way to kind of start the day uh, the government has also committed to be producing a cycling and walking investment strategy with the strategy setting out plans to invest 300 million to support the whole idea of cycling and walking to school and work. Uh, it's split, it, 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 it will set a clear target to increase uh, like a, a specific number, but that has not yet been set. Uh, and there was, there's also a campaign called Bikeability Cycle Training for Children, which they're going to continue to support with some of that 300 million. So, um, yeah, so to conclude, uh, I think there are obviously a lot of positive uh, methods being um, put in place to reduce obesity. And I think the obesity rates overall should hugely decrease in the coming uh, in the coming years. But um, I think, like um, Ashish mentioned earlier and I, I touched on, that uh, too much emphasis could create a somewhat like fat phobic environment. And there is there has to be a distinction between being happy with your body and how it is um, and being a beast. But obviously the reason there's such an emphasis is the huge negative health effects that obesity can have. So you, there's increased uh, likelihood of heart disease, um, shortened lifespan, uh, multiple others. And it's obviously a very worrying thing in, in, in that sense. Uh, and I think that's really why there's such a huge emphasis about, emphasis about it. Um, but yeah, um, I think it's a very promising period of time for obesity and for obesity rates to hopefully decline. Um, and I think as so long as the ethical implication, ethical implications of all the schemes they put into place are considered, that we should hope to see um, some really good new schemes put in place. Uh, and yeah. As ever, guys, thank you for concluding that very well, Kanishka, fastly. And as ever, guys, thank you for listening so intently. And uh, please make sure that you like and subscribe to our channel and follow our Instagram and Twitter for upcoming podcasts and fun facts along the way. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Thank you.